Hey, it's so good to welcome you to Fields Church Online, and we are so pleased that you've tuned in for this message. No matter what's going on in your world right now, we pray that you come away feeling encouraged by this message. When I said I would do, or I was asked, and I said, oh, that's okay, I'll do Blessed Are the Merciful, I didn't realise how events in the world would make this so relevant. I didn't realise how things that are going on at the moment would make this so relevant for all of us. So what we're going to be looking at today is a bit of a two-edged sword. Um, Those of you who maybe are visiting us, those of you who maybe don't know so much about God and why we're all here, then there's certainly something for you. Those of you who are here and you know a lot and you're regularly here, there's something here for you as well. So I hope we're addressing things at all levels. Now, those of you who are visiting, if you thought, well, I'm going to church this morning, so I'm going to meet lots of really good people, borderline perfect people, people who have never done anything wrong, they're perfect, they're wonderful, they're nicely turned out, they're great, wrong. So, we learnt last week, and I wasn't here last week, I'm, I, I regret not being here last week, because um, it seems like there were lots of really amazing things shared and happened, but I managed to listen, Monday morning on my journey to work, I listened to Richard's talk, and I've learnt something new about him, he's bad. <laughs> I learnt that he intentionally had an illegal number plate on his motorbike. So, for those of you who are used to what we talk about here, and used to sort of church language, we all know Richard is a sinner. (laughs) For those of you who don't know what we're talking about... And, you know, the word sin is one of those words that we use in church, but we don't use probably anywhere else. So if it's a word you're unfamiliar with, then Richard is bad. Okay? But I hate to point this out. We all are. Um, I have a fetish. Right, now you're all a bit anxious. Um, I have a fetish. Whenever I go anywhere, I have to collect pens. Now, I I, I have this constant moral battle that when I go to maybe a conference at a hotel or I go somewhere to a hotel or I go somewhere else, I I normally can try and get there early and I'll see I've got a little pad of paper and I've got a pen and I've got this. I'll think, right, that's my pen. And then I'll wander around and think, we're not going to fill all the seats, so... That's my pen as well. That's my pen as well. And then we have the conference, and you'll go for a cup of tea, and I'll go get a cup of tea. That's my pen as well. I'll stick it in my pocket. And you'll get to the end, and it'll be the end of the conference, or the end of wherever you're going, and the meeting's finished, the meeting's done, and everyone's going home, having a cup of tea. Lovely to see you all. And I make sure I'm the last through, and I hoover up all the remaining pens. So I arrive home... And Cindy's always a little anxious. I arrive home, and I get my bag out, and she was like, what have you done today? And I'll get out handfuls of pens. 
So I've got pens from Hilton Hotels, from Marriott Hotels. Hooray, thank you, Steve. Um, we had a change of corporate image at my workplace, so we weren't allowed to give away all the pens that had the old logo on it. So guess what? Snaffled all of those, brought them all home. So at home, there is no excuse for not finding a pen. I've got absolutely hundreds of them. I love it. So Cindy tells me, that's stealing. I say, that's promotion. So if someone comes to my house and I can say, would you like to borrow a pen? Here's a Hilton Hotel pen. I'm helping them with their advertising and promotion. So I see that as a good thing. So anyway, so the lady in my home who moralizes about the fact that I steal pens, we went away last weekend and we, were, um, we, we had a a nice room, and she came out of the bathroom the first morning and said, that conditioner, feel my hair, feel my hair. Now, you know my wife, she doesn't have long, luscious locks, but nonetheless, I felt her hair, which didn't take very long. <laughs> and I felt her hair, and she said, oh, shampoo's so lovely. Guess what? We unpacked our bags when we got home, and out came conditioner, conditioner, shampoo. She even sent me down to the reception to say, oh, have you got some more shower gel? <laughs> I'm sure on the way here this morning, I exceeded the speed limit. I am sure all of us at one point or other, since becoming vertical this morning, some of us before we were vertical did something wrong. But as soon as we became vertical, between that point and now, we've all done things wrong. So I want to talk this morning about blessed are the merciful. The Bible has a lot to say. The Bible has a great deal to say about us. Isaiah 53. So this is looking forward. This is the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament looking forward. And he said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We're all like that. We've all done wrong. We've all gone and done our own thing. We've all messed up. But the Bible doesn't stop there. It points out we've all made a mistake. We've all done wrong. We've all gone our own way. We're all selfish. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God did something merciful for us. So it's not just that we're all a bit naughty, that we've all sinned, that we've all done bad things, but God found a way to deal with that. It also says in Romans, so the writers of the Romans, who in the New Testament says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you were expecting to come to the church this morning and find a group of perfect people, sorry. If you want to join a church with perfect people, then you'll obviously have to go somewhere else, and I suggest you'll struggle. Because we've all sinned, we've all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we're all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came 
by Christ Jesus. So the Bible quite clearly tells us that we've all sinned. We've all done things wrong, but that God is merciful. God has put things in place so our sin, the things we've done wrong, can all be dealt with. And that was dealt with through Jesus coming. So Jesus came to take what we have done that is wrong and to deal with it. So in a couple of verses, Jesus explained who he came for and why he came. Luke 5, Jesus says, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Isn't that good that we've acknowledged, we've recognized that we're all sinners? Because if we're all sitting there thinking, I'm not a sinner, I've done nothing wrong, then Jesus can do nothing for you. We can be self-righteous. We can think, oh, I'm better than them. We can walk down the street and we can see people lying around and think, I'm better than them. We can look at people and make judgments and think, I'm better than them. Jesus warns us against that. He would call that self-righteousness. So if we think we're righteous, then Jesus can't do anything for us. In Matthew, it records Jesus saying much the same thing. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. And he he refers to a verse in the Old Testament. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We'll come back to that later. But that that is something that those of us who are here, who have been in church a long while, and think... I'll go to church, it's what I do, I'll dress up, I'll put my smart shoes on, I'll do this, that and the other. God doesn't want, he's not looking for sacrifice, he's looking for mercy. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus came, God wants Jesus to come for sinners. That's you and that's me. And that's all of us. So, some of us have recognized that. Some of us here maybe haven't recognized that yet. We know we do things wrong. We know we struggle. We have this internal struggle. But maybe we don't know about the mercy that God has laid out there for us. So, somewhere in this next diagram, we appear. And this is what I ideally would like to take away this morning. It's something I've battled with, something I've certainly been thinking about while I've read and prepared and got ready for this. We all need mercy. We've established that bit, haven't we? We've all done something wrong, whether it's thinking we're cool because we've got an illegal number plate, (laughs) whether it's having this pen-stealing fetish, this sort of pen magpie, or whether it's taking shampoo, or whether it's speeding, or whatever, we all need mercy. We've looked at those Bible verses. We can all get mercy. Jesus came to show mercy 
towards us. But then we shouldn't just get fat on mercy. We should give mercy. That's the whole point of what we're going to talk about. Because Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. He didn't actually say, Blessed are those who have received mercy. He didn't actually say, Blessed are those who need mercy. It's blessed are the merciful, so those who have passed it on. Now, Jesus had some people in the Bible who were constantly sniping, constantly having a go. Every time he said something really good, they would pick holes in it. Every time um, he said anything, did anything, they were sort of his nemesis right through the Bible. So what I'm going to suggest to you and me is we mustn't be a Pharisee. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Bible will, again, know what I'm talking about. But those of you who maybe aren't so familiar with the Bible, they are the sort of people who suck all the joy out of anything, who will find a rule for everything, who will spoil everything. And the Pharisees were there. So let's think about an example. Now, I'm quite old. No, you're not. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm quite old. So I can remember back in the day when shops didn't open right. on a Sunday. Yep. Actually, Cindy and I went... To, now this, I've, I, I, Periodically, I feel the need to have a go at Norfolk. I don't know why. <laughs> whether it's the Suffolk person in me... But last weekend, I travelled back in time. I went to Norfolk. Okay, I travelled back in time because I got to drive an E-Type Jag, built circa 1970. I got to drive uh, an Aston Martin DB5, similar time scale, and I went to Norfolk. So I travelled back in time. And it was actually great. We stayed in this place in Holt. Yay. And... Once I got over the fact that they're not quite normal there, um, <laughs> Sunday was great. The shops were shut. We wandered around and had a bit of a walk around on, on, on the Sunday. And, you know, it was, it was awful. It was terrible. We went past this lady's clothes shop. Oh, shut. This one that Cindy had been looking at, uh, a very nice sort of yellow leather backpack thing. And she'd be saying, oh, that's nice. I'd like that. Oh, that's nice. I was getting the subtle hints. And I said, okay, Sunday, we'll have a look on Sunday. Guess what? <laughs> shut. Oh. So all the, the shops were shut. So the reason probably why a lot of the shops were shut is because God said... At the end of creation, he said, I've worked for six days. On the seventh day, I'm going to rest. So God said his advice to humankind was work, but then rest. Have a day in your week when you rest, when you do not work. So to me, the Sabbath, as it was, was set up as a day of rest, as a day to charge your batteries, to spend time with God, to spend time with your family, not to have to work. 
So what the Pharisee... Yes, pointing at Danny. Danny, are you particularly good at resting on a Sunday? No? Okay. All right, listen. So God very briefly had said, do not work on one day a week. So do you know what the Pharisees did? They took what was for someone's benefit, for their good, and they sucked all the fun out of it. I did a bit of an investigation. So the Mishnah, which was the Book of Rules, has 39 primary kinds of labour which you are not allowed to do on the Sabbath. And I will, I will now read them out to you. Are we ready? 39. Carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, combing, spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, tanning, smoothing, or marking. So, God said, I want you to rest. And the Pharisees said, that's an opportunity to create lots of rules. So, looking into that, there is an expression in the Bible you will, you will find where it's talked about someone was a Sabbath day journey away. And you probably skipped past that and thought, well, I don't know what that means. On the Sabbath... The Pharisees dictated you were only allowed to travel roughly two-thirds of a mile. No more than that. So they created a rule about how far you could go. Apparently, you're not allowed to carry anything in a public place on the Sabbath, according to those rules. You're not allowed to polish your shoes on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to catch a fly... You're not allowed... Now, this would be devastating. Now, again, I point out I'm quite old. This was an activity which happened in my house with multiple people on a Sunday. No knitting. <laughs> and my poor old mum, she loves a knit on a Sunday afternoon, but a Pharisee would take that joy away from her because that's working. You apparently... I don't know how this one fits in. It's not a problem I suffer with. You can't look in a mirror fixed to a wall. And you also are not allowed to light a candle. Apparently, though, you can employ a Gentile to do that. <laughs> but you're not allowed to do that. So, what Jesus... And we'll come back to the Pharisees a little bit later on. Because the Pharisees were very good at adhering to the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. So you could argue they were lacking in mercy, that they stuck by the rules regardless of the rules and forgot the principle behind the rules. And we can do that sometimes. There are rules in the Bible and we will look down at people who don't comply with the rules where actually we should be helping them. So I want to look at two stories. One is an example of how not to... And one is an example of how to, with relation to mercy. So, 
Both are stories, and they genuinely are stories. They are stories told by Jesus. So a couple of parables. So, in Matthew 18, Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, we think that's harsh, but that was the culture of the time. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. So you'll notice there, the debt was cancelled. Not postponed. It's not a, an interest-only loan. And that's okay, don't pay the, 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 the main money off, just pay the interest. It wasn't even a 0% credit card where you got to pay it off. And this is an illustration of God. God doesn't just postpone our debt, say, that's all right, I'll let you crack on for now, but you will pay in time. He cancelled the debt. The debt is gone. We are debt-free. Yeah, that got a slight nod and a mmm from Danny. Thank you. The rest of you are not so delighted about that fact. But nonetheless, the debt is cancelled. He owed 10,000 bags of gold. That's not an inconsiderable amount. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him, how much? A hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So the servant, who had just been forgiven a huge amount, had a fellow servant thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. I can see two problems there. First of all, how's he going to pay the debt in prison? And secondly, that was actually a legitimate thing to do. The law said he could do that. But I would suggest there, like we said a minute ago, he, fo he followed the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. Remember what Jesus said, I would rather have mercy than sacrifice. He followed the letter of the law, but he missed the spirit of the law. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could, should pay back all he owed. Again, that man ultimately was put in prison. Again, he couldn't pay back in prison. 
the cycle continued. He couldn't pay back. He didn't show mercy. He still couldn't pay back. How much have we been forgiven? If we really think about what we've done, if I sit and think of all the sins I've committed, all the things I have done, that is a huge amount. And yet sometimes I don't always forgive the people who do something quite small against me in the scheme of things. I actually looked it up. A hundred silver coins is three months' wages. 10,000 bags of gold is 200,000 years' wages. 200,000 years' wages versus three months' wages. And we'll look at that and think, wow, that's ridiculous. Isn't that the same with us? Haven't we done the equivalent of 200,000 years worth of wages of wrong in the past? And yet God cancels that debt. It says that he forgets our sins. He casts them away. They're as far as the east is from the west. And he's forgotten that. And yet sometimes I do, and I'm sure you do will remember some little thing that someone did that niggles and will try and somehow get our own back. Are we always merciful? So let's look at another story. In Luke, Jesus tells another story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. I don't think it was coincidental that when Jesus told that story, the two who passed by on the other side were, first of all, a priest a minister, and secondly, a Levite, a worship leader. They probably were busy. They probably had to get to church in modern day language because I've got to get to church, I've got to go up the front and talk, or I've got to get to church, I've got to lead the worship. So frankly, I'm far too busy. Can you just stay there bleeding because I've got lots of other things to do? Do we sometimes do that. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus made up that story. That was a story with a point. There was a reason behind that. Can we sometimes get caught up in the mechanics of religion? Can we get caught up in the rules? Can we be a bit like the Pharisees, where 
God gives us something for our benefit, and we then get caught up in the mechanics of precisely how are we going to do that? How's it going to work? And we miss out on the bigger picture. I haven't heard it lately, but I've, in the past I've heard a phrase about being too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly use. I'll dust off that phrase now and put that out there. Sometimes we can be so heavenly-minded, so het up with, yes, it's good what's, it, what, what's in the Bible. It's good what we believe. It, that all those are very good things. But sometimes do we get so caught up with that that we know actual physical use. We've received mercy, and we can sit in the knowledge we've got that mercy, but are we demonstrating that mercy? I have to say that to myself. Am I demonstrating mercy? Do I sometimes say, oh, I'll pray, when actually, I can, yeah, I can pray, but I could do something. Remember, Jesus said, that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. So let's just look at this man for a moment, the Samaritan. I think, I'm suggesting he reveals four things. He sees a need. He, it says in the, the scripture there, he saw the man. The others passed by on the other side. They didn't even see him. So do we see the need? He responded internally. It says he took pity on him. Do we respond? Do we see and then do we have pity? Do we take notice and try and put ourselves in the other person's shoes? But we don't only need to respond internally. That's all very well and good, but internal um, sympathy doesn't help someone. The fact I feel sorry for you doesn't mean that that's actually any help. It's nice to know, but it doesn't do any good. So he responded externally. He cared for him. He showed him mercy. And the other thing is he responded regardless. The fact that this was a person who in the normal run of things would despise me. In the normal run of things, a Jew would travel an enormous distance to get away and travel around the Samaritan area. They wouldn't speak to them, go anywhere near them. Which just brings an extra layer to that. So the Samaritan saw the need. He responded internally. He responded externally. And he responded regardless. Now... Some of you will be saying, yeah, but yeah, there comes a point where the rubber hits the road, and yes, we, we, we get all this merciful nonsense, but sometimes you just have to tell people off. Yep, that's, that's true. Those of you who are parents know that there comes a point where you can't give your children mercy anymore. You have to teach them something. You have to tell them off. If you are in the workplace, you will know that there comes a point where someone in the workplace who maybe is stealing, obviously not pens, but someone who is stealing from the workplace needs to be disciplined. And that's fine. But I would suggest we have to do that, but what Jesus would ask us to do is think about the lens through which we view that. So let's just look at Jesus for a minute. 
Come, let's go back and talk about the Pharisees. Jesus, in Matthew 23, went off on one about the Pharisees. Let's just have a look very quickly at what he said. So this is what we should not do. This is Jesus pointing out what the Pharisees did, and let's apply this to us. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Do we sometimes give people's rule, people rules to, to live by, things they should do, our expectations of them, and yet not help them? I'll sometimes do that. I'll, in my workplace, I'll give people, right, I want you to do this, 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 and this. How am I supposed to do that? Oh, I don't know. Just get on and do it. Do we sometimes do that? If we do that, we're a bit like a Pharisee. Jesus went on and said, Everything they do is done for people to see. They, they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be treated with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. Phylacteries are boxes that, that they keep scriptures in. So obviously you are holier if you had an enormous phylactery. Yeah, so if you had that stuck to you. If you had tassels and garments which made you look really important. I think I've shared this before. Once a year, I get to go to graduation um, on the stage at graduation. I see my, my students graduate. Sadly, one of the things I love doing on that day is swishing around. I love wearing the gown and sort of just swishing around. And I'll make sure I get changed early and then go for a swish beforehand, because there is something nice about sort of being very grand and sort of very important. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Sometimes, do we do things to look good? Do we do things to lord it over other people? I'm better than you. I'm higher than you. Again, my academic colleagues, I think I look really good with my mortarboard until someone comes along and says, yeah, well, I've got a floppy hat. I say, yes, what's so good about your floppy hat? I'm a doctor. Oh. <laughs> so, do we sometimes lord it up over people? Jesus continued, You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. So they were making sure that they complied by the law and they were tithing, you know, herbs from the kitchen and were very fastidious in making sure they're given precisely 10% of a little jar of herbs, but they forgot justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the letter, sorry, the latter, without neglecting the former, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. So what Jesus was saying there, sometimes the Pharisees, and we can, get preoccupied with trifles and miss the big picture. We get preoccupied with all the little things. You know, I, I do. I'm completely guilty of that. I'm glad Josh is not here today because 
Occasionally, I'll be like, oh, it's so great, you sang a song that's nearly as old as me. Because all the songs you sing are about as old as my trousers. You know, they're all here today, gone tomorrow. And he's like, Dad, you're such a Pharisee. And it's true. We can all do it. We can all get this bee in our bonnet about something. But Jesus, I would suggest, showed mercy and people followed. Let's look at a couple of examples. Zacchaeus. Jesus had a go. We can sometimes, if we see something that's wrong, we can have a go. We can discipline. But it's the lens we do it through. Jesus forgave Zacchaeus. He didn't berate him and tell him off and tell him all the things he'd done wrong. He just said, I'm coming to your house and you're going to feed me. And Zacchaeus, on the back of that, paid back all that he owed and offered that if he'd cheated anyone, he would give them the money. We also hear about Jesus meeting in Levi's house. And the, the Pharisees at that point is, why is he always dining with sinners? You know, same reference goes back again. He came for sinners. He came for us. We are sinners. If we're those people that say, why is the church getting involved here? Why are we getting involved in that area? They're just dirty. You know, they're beneath us. They're sinners. We're sinners. They have that right. Jesus forgave the woman caught in the act of adultery. He didn't go through and explain all the things that she'd done wrong. He just said, go and sin no more. She knew, but he showed mercy. The ultimate act. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. Was Judas at the Last Supper? We don't read about it, but I would suggest there's a very good chance Jesus washed his feet. There's a very good chance Jesus gave him bread to eat. There's a very good chance Jesus gave him wine to drink and made sure that that meal was an eventful occasion. And he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus showed mercy. So I suggest what we need to remember, what I'm taking away from this, and I hope you will take away, we are all sinners. We all need mercy. We all can get mercy. Jesus came to die for us. Jesus forgives all of us on an ongoing basis because we all will do more things wrong. He doesn't stop forgiving us. But we also need to give mercy because Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy.